ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Councillor, the uh, Allied victory over the Japanese in World War II in the Pacific Theatre usually encompassed the Australian resistance and victory at Kokoda in the PNG campaign and the island-hopping successes as US forces pushed westwards towards Japan. Although not so much has been written about the Australian campaigns aimed at defeating Japanese forces in places like Bougainville, the Solomons and Borneo. And even less research has been done into the role of the local populations in assisting Australian and other Allied forces to beat the Japanese forces. That assistance, of course, was uh, considerable. A new book, Forgotten Heroes, the true story of Sarawak people who fought and died assisting Allied forces in World War II, aims to outline the critical role played by Sarawak in defeating the Japanese, focusing on actions in 1945 after an advance party of Allied special forces operations uh, parachuted into Sarawak's mountains in preparation for a major Allied landing to retake Borneo from the Japanese. Now, the book is written by Australian author and journalist Paul Malone. Paul worked for um, many years for the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age, the Australian Financial Review and the Canberra Times. Uh, And he spoke to us uh, not so long ago about an earlier chapter in this story. Uh, He joins us this evening. Again, Paul, good evening to you and uh, welcome back to Nightlife. Good evening, Philip. So... When last we spoke, of course, we were talking about your book, Kill the Major. Just recap there for us, so we're in the same spot. Yes, well, Kill the Major was about the Samut uh, landing or a special operation behind Japanese lines in 1945. As you said, uh, Borneo was to be retaken by the AIF in a major amphibious operation which involved 75,000 Australian troops landing at Tarakan, Brunei Bay and uh, Balakpapan. Now, the Samut operation was designed to help the uh, Brunei Bay landing by providing intelligence, denying supplies, and ultimately, when the landing took place, Mm. engaging in combat. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, go on. So what happened was that uh, when I wrote Kill the Major, my book about the Samut operation, I knew that I hadn't given adequate... a recognition to the role played by the local people simply because I didn't have the information. Mm. But after I published it, um, I came across a trove of documents in the UK's National Archives on the citations given to local people awarded the King's Medal for Courage. And I persuaded my publisher to agree to publish another short book um, which would outline the role played by these people who basically don't get recognition, don't yeah. get named. Yeah, exactly. So, it, in March, well, we, I mean, we'll set the scene. In March 1945, the Japanese are very much in retreat at this stage, of course. Uh, it's, 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 you know, the, the end is near. But, uh, but they're still fighting and things are v- very much in the balance depending where you are in Southeast Asia. An advanced party of Allied Special Operations Forces have parachuted into Sarawak's mountains in preparation for a major Allied landing to retake Borneo from the Japanese. Now, the Special Forces people were welcomed by the locals. And go on. Yeah, very much so. I mean, they didn't know whether they were going to be welcomed because they're dropping into a cleared area 
occupied by people known as the Kalabat. Mm. Now, the Kalabat had been headhunters, and it was also unknown whether the Japanese were in occupation of this area in the remote part. You know, it, it's jungle-covered, 50-metre-high trees, and this cleared area in the jungle, and lo and behold, Tom Harrison and seven others were welcomed by the Kalabat people. Mm. Yes, the locals provided intelligence. They engaged in denial of supply operations and finally engaged in an outstandingly successful guerrilla war. As you say, you you discovered these documents in the UK archives, didn't didn't you? Um, Tell me about what you uncovered. Well, I uncovered about 400 pages. Now, they're basically um, photocopies or they provide images of these old documents, some not very clear, and they're very brief. Some of them, for example, one is only... A sentence long, and it says that um, a man called Chit Singh um, aided the Allies at a, in taking a, a, a post, and in reprisal, the Japanese killed his wife and five small children. Oh dear! Mm, you know, mm. um, that's the sort of extraordinary um, effort they made. Another one simply said thirty-one words. It simply says Fan Chung helped two RAAF uh, men escape after their plane crashed near Kuching. And that's all I had. And I contacted the War Memorial, one of the experts there. Have you ever heard of this? I said, I've never heard of the RAAF men crashing. I've heard of two Liberator bombers, US ones, crashing and being assisted by the locals. And uh, she hadn't heard of it. And I was at a bit bit of a loss. Um, And then I thought, well, I'll search Trove with the unusual name of this place. And lo and behold, it threw up uh, an article in the Argus that revealed the names of the two RAAF men. And from there, it was plain sailing. I could then look at their records in the War Memorial and get the full story of how the locals helped them escape. Mm. Tell me about some of the actions of, of, the, of the Sarawak people. Well, before that... Um, Two, as I said, two Liberator aircraft went down. Mm-hmm. Um, one went down um, at, near uh, Limbang in the northwest of Borneo, and 11 men um, escaped. Um, but um, the the problem was they, uh, they, they escaped the crash. They had to make it to safety. At the time, the air was totally occupied by the Japanese. They were um, moved from one longhouse to another longhouse inland, um, for months, um, and eventually the party split up, and five went one way and six went another. And um, I'm, I'm sorry, I think I've got the numbers wrong. It was nine escaped the crash, eleven originally, but nine lived, and it was four and five. Anyway, um, the four with the pilot, a man called Smith, um, were ultimately. Uh, captured or killed, but five did make it inland to uh, Samut's headquarters in the inland. The the party that the advance party that you mentioned earlier that uh, parachuted into the jungle, and eventually they were um, flown out um, because Tom Harrison and his men built a landing strip in the interior, and light Oster aircraft could land there. So they flew out the American Liberator. Uh, uh, survivors uh, from the crash at Limbang and they flew out another six who crashed in Dutch Borneo. Um, so say locals sheltered these men at great risk to their lives, not only their own lives, but the lives of the whole village. Um, another uh, 
well, the, the, the RAAF men, they crashed um, in early August 1945. Now, um, as you know, the war actually officially ended on the 15th of August, but mm. um, that's no <laughs> safe guarantee. In fact, um, the the... The full surrender wasn't signed until the 2nd of September and, of course, the, the actual surrender of people in Kuching, of the Japanese forces in Kuching, took place later. So when those men crashed on the 7th of August, it was Japanese-occupied territory and far to the north were the Australian IIF forces. What happened to them? They, they were both injured a bit, but they landed in a swamp in the forest. They made their way through the swamp for some time. They came across some locals... And for a while, they they tried to persuade them to get a boat to help them cross a, a major river, but they lost contact with those men. They were they were partly suspicious. Were they going to go back to the Japanese and reveal their location, or were they not? So they actually went and hid in the jungle. They waded through the jungle for five days. Um, now, if you've been there, and I have, mm. you get covered in leeches. You get bitten by mosquitoes, you have stinging plants, um, it pours with rain at times. Um, I mean, they must have been absolutely miserable. And on top of that, one of them had an injured leg and the others had, both of them had lacerations. So eventually they decided they had to, they came to a clearing, they felt they had to come out. And they saw some Chinese children, they followed them. And uh, then they got intercepted by an old Chinese man who said, no, no, don't go to that house. Come, 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 come with me. And he took them to his house. His name was Fan Chung. And um, he uh, revealed to them once he got an English interpreter that the very house they were heading for was at that very moment occupied by Japanese questioning the locals oh, yeah. um, yeah. on, on their whereabouts. So the Chinese there um, brought them food and hid them for a few more days and then um, they decided that there were search parties out for them. They couldn't stay there longer. They would have to go down river and go out to sea and head north to where the Australian forces were occupied about 500 kilometres north. So um, they decided they'd send a sampan down the river first and they would follow in a small native boat you know, called a prow and uh, hidden under a wicker uh, mats. Mm-hmm. So they um, head down river. The sampan, the, the idea was if the sampan gets stopped, we turn around or pull over to the side and, and so on. The sampan didn't get stopped, but their boat did. And so uh, here's the two men lying under these mats. The, the two crewmen managed to persuade the Japanese that they were just going fishing and off they went down river and out to sea. Um, that wasn't the end of the ordeal. They paid off a couple of guys from the sampan and off they headed. At times they got um, blown ashore in storms and then um, eventually, um, after two weeks from their crash, they made it to Miri where the AIF was in occupation and they were flown to Labuan Island. So they were rescued officially after the end of the war but I suppose it took two weeks of effectively being in Japanese-occupied territory. Yeah, exactly. Tell me about Captain Rick Edmeads. Yes, well, well, Edmeads was um, uh, Harrison's offsider, and he had some uh, amazing experiences. One of his tasks um, was to engage in denial of supplies, and along the way he recruited locals, and one of his defectors was a guy called Mooley. 
Now, um, Mooley was a paddy clerk. That is, he was responsible for arranging the rice to be transported from the inland to uh, the Japanese on the coast. The Japanese mostly occupied the coast because that was the valuable piece of real estate. It had the oil fields, it had the rubber plantations and so on. But they wanted the food from the inland. So um, Muli defected. And of course, after a while, the Japanese realised that they're not getting any rice from this region. So they sent up a a patrol of Kempatai military police and soldiers to find out what's going on and probably arrest Muli. Um, Ed Meads, Muli was in the open when the Japanese arrived um, in, in the village with Ed Meads men hidden and uh, the Japanese approach him and proceed to arrest him at which point uh, Ed Meads and his men, Iban warriors and others with blowpipes and uh, some with the, the submachine guns that um, uh, the Australians had provided, um, step out and immediately arrest the Japanese patrol. Um, and that was much to the amusement of the locals. Um, I imagine. I can imagine. Uh, I can imagine. Paul Malone's with us. He's a, an author and historian. He's written a book about the uh, the bravery of the Sarawak people in um, in fighting with, and in many cases, dying, helping allied forces in World War Two. His book is called Forgotten Heroes. Tell us about Lieutenant Jeffrey Wesley. Wesley had some also very interesting and amusing experiences. Um, he was a South Australian, and he um, uh, had with him. Uh, he had again to engage in denial of supplies, and one of his tasks was also to find out who had killed a relative of the uh, White Raja, uh, a relative of the, the Brook family, a man called Hudden, who had been an administrator in Sarawak. And uh, it was known that locals had killed him. And that was one of Wesley's tasks, to find out who killed Hudden and also engage in denial of supplies and take on the Japanese. Um, with his offsider, a, a fierce warrior called Sinau, he, he set off and uh, warrior was a, a very big man, battle-scarred, tattooed, long ears. Um, and uh, at their first operation, uh, they, they were at a village and they were told that there were six Japanese in occupation. Um, as they approached, they were informed that four were down by the river washing and the other two were in a hut with two women. So um, Sinau, warriors were placed on the banks of the river with their blowpipes ready and their parangs, their bush knives ready. And uh, on hearing of a commotion, they were to attack the four on the river. Sinau knocked on the door. Uh, a Japanese, smiling Japanese, opened the door and Sinau brought down his parang and beheaded the man on the spot um, and rushed into the hut. No other Japanese were there. The other man was away. Um, Sinau and and Wesley engaged in a number of um, such operations, killing quite a large number of Japanese over time and as they moved um, east towards Tarakan uh, in very, very remote part and at that point, Harrison flew overhead, the head of the Samut operation, and dropped a, a leaflet saying to Wesley, return now um, and arrest Sino immediately. He was the leader of the party that killed Hudden. When Wesley confronted Sino, he said, yes, I did, I was. Um, but he said, look, I was loyal to the Japanese then. I'm now loyal to you. I regard you as a brother. Hmm. Wesley had to arrest him, of course, but he also wrote a, a letter of support um, giving details of, of the courageous actions he'd engaged exactly. in. It was a, yeah, as we discussed last time, it was, it's a, uh, it was, it was a, 
uh, announced their strategy to retake Borneo by dropping commandos. And I suppose with hindsight you'd say it was a brilliant, although hazardous, operation. Although there was a sense in some way that perhaps Australian forces had been sent in to do a lot of the dirty work, do you think? Yes, look, look. this was not a clean operation and, and in, in a, after the event mm. perhaps people didn't talk so openly about because, look, nobody followed the Geneva Convention there. The That's Japanese right. didn't and, they, and the Australian forces didn't. Um, the, the, I should say that the AIF did. The AIF very closely followed uh, the proper rules of engagement. But these guerrillas were uh, given a task where you couldn't, they couldn't take prisoners. How do you take prisoners mm. and hold them in the jungle when you've got small forces and uh, and if they escape, they betray you? Mm. Exactly. Uh, it's, a, it's a terrific read and also, as you say, uh, a, a, re, a, a balancing of the ledger. Forgotten Heroes, it's called the true story of the Sarawak people who fought and died assisting Allied forces in World War II. The author's been Paul Malone and uh, he's been with us this evening. Thanks, Paul. Good evening. Thank you. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.